The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, my name is Maureen Metcalf, and I'm the host of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm the founder and CEO and board president of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders in their organizations, identifying the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses and design business strategies to help their organizations and their leaders leverage those trends to create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author of an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organizations. I'm also an adjunct faculty member at universities in the US and Germany. We talk about the rate of change that we're seeing in our world now, and I think of the chief engineer at Google, Ray Kurzweil, who talks about the rate of change we're going to see in this century being 20,000 times in the technology space what we saw in the last century. So think about it being a person who was born around 1900, who just saw the beginning of automobiles, And if they died at the year 2000, they lived through people living in space, and all of the changes from going cross-country was unheard of to not thinking much of going on safari in Africa. So so they saw that range of change. What does 20,000 times that look like? And so some of those changes will be disruptive to the negative and others to the positive. So think of the changes in the medical field, that people will no longer die from the the range of cancers that we now, most of us are touched by someone we care about having died of cancer, or in my case, a parent with Alzheimer's. By the end of this century, those will likely be unheard of. We'll look back on that like we look back on maybe polio, that we just, it's not a normal event. We may have outliers, but not on a daily basis. So then the question becomes, as leaders, how do we innovate how we lead to metabolize that rate of change and update how we lead, not just what we do in our businesses? So if I am transforming an organization and yet leading like I learned to lead in 1999, I will likely be depreciated and become part of the problem, not the solution for my organization. So the show is really focused on identifying people who have stand out for me as folks who have done this consistently over their careers and are the beacons in in our world of exceptional leadership and stand out in some way for something 
specific and unique. And I'm delighted that today we're joined by Carla Panessa. Carla is a principal benefactor of the Mayo Clinic. She chairs the Chicago Leadership Council and members of the Leadership Council of Mayo Clinic in Arizona. She's the Chair Emeritus of the Leadership Board of Trustees, a 25-year-old organization that taught close to 100,000 young people how to lead with integrity and a sense of possibility. Larry Page, the co-founder of Google, is a Michigan Leadership graduate. Sal Khan, founder of the Khan Academy, is an MIT Leadership graduate, to name a few. Prior to retirement, Carla was the managing partner of Change Management at Accenture, a $75 billion global consulting firm with 380,000 employees and clients in 120 countries. And for me, the reason I invited Carla is she's the beacon of people who have changed over time and that I still look to as a mentor. So I want this series to provide opportunities for everyone listening to hear something that they can put into practice this week. So we talk about leadership taking on the mind of the scientist. And as a participant or a listener, my hope is that you actually make this a real practice in your life and that you will hear something from Carla today that you can experiment with in the next week in your practice, either of leadership or being an employee or being a parent or being a coach in your community. So the outcome of this session is part of the Executive Insight Series. I asked Carla to talk about her ongoing impact in innovating organizations from the employee level, leadership level, and board level. As we talk about how leaders innovate themselves and their organizations, Carla is one of the people that I've looked to for insight when I worked several levels down at Accenture and I looked to her as one of our, our leading thinkers as a partner and then through her career taking on board roles as she left the firm, as she retired, that she continues to make an impact in people's lives. So let's now shift to Carla and thank you for being here and You're inviting welcome. me to Chicago to hang out with you for the day. You're welcome, Maureen. I'm pleased to be here as well. Thanks. So tell us a little bit about who you are and, and your career trajectory so people understand the context in which you're speaking. Well, I think um, anyone who has had a career that meets uh, what a need is in an organization with what their unique skills and abilities are at any given point in time uh, are in a sweet spot, so to speak, as a golf lover would say because you can get the maximum results out with the least amount of effort when you've got those two in sync. I think what happens is that people sometimes stay on too long in jobs when they've outgrown them. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I think there's a reciprocal challenge that goes on in personal growth as well as in what a job requires, that if those are in sync and married, um, then the job certainly um, benefits and the individual continues to grow. Mm -hmm. So I was fortunate enough to experience that at Accenture. So how did you get started with your career? Because you didn't start at Accenture. No, thank you. I, I had um, some 12 years with government. Uh, so I retrained air traffic controllers for the Federal Aviation mm -hmm. Administration here in Chicago and Atlanta. 
that's where I learned what fear does uh, in a job. Uh, someone at O'Hare with 2020 vision on the ground could go up into the tower and lose sight because he was afraid he was going to run two together mm -hmm. or she. Um, I went to IRS and retrained um, technical and management training there, and I lost too many friends, frankly, <laughs> when I told them I worked for IRS. So uh, even telling them I was with the Treasury Department didn't help. So uh, I was there for a year, and then I got introduced to Arthur Anderson at the time, later Anderson Consulting, and finally Accenture. Mm -hmm. And they were starting on a, a, a quest at that point to figure out when they work with clients, why is it the change doesn't really stick, doesn't mm -hmm. happen? And we were telling them it's because you don't get the people to hug it. Um, they put their arms out to resist it. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done on the people side as well mm -hmm. as on the technology side. And that's what I had the privilege of working in. So you talked a little bit about how you got hired. And I love this story because... As we look at people who are successful, it seems like they had some magic formula that we haven't figured out. So how did you end up at Accenture? Well, I called a friend, and I asked if she wanted to go to dinner. My husband was traveling that night. She wasn't, and she started complaining about the fact that they were getting ready to go into this business, and they didn't know what they were mm -hmm. getting into. And mm -hmm. so I said, well, you need to do this and this and this. And she says, you need to come talk to someone. <laughs> so I wasn't looking for a job. In fact, I think... The synchronicity mm -hmm. of what happens when you don't go searching for something sometimes will surprise you at how mm -hmm. perfect it is. So I didn't even know I wanted to have that job, but when I got there I thought, hmm, I could enjoy this for a long time. And 25 years later, mm -hmm. um, I can say I did. Because you talked about the overlap of what you're good at and what the organization wants. And so that was just, in your case, synchronicity. Well, it was to begin with. And then I think, uh, I think there were some skills that were very useful as well. And I, I remember asking myself questions about why is it that people aren't going to follow this change that we're suggesting in a client environment when it seems so blatantly obvious that mm -hmm. it's necessary and that it would be easy to do. And I think that's because we never approached it to begin with from their perspective. We were always uh, approaching uh -huh. it from ours. So um, I think, if anything, I've been blessed with an ability to um, say out loud what others are thinking and discern what some might be thinking and not um, careful about um, where the chips fall. So in doing that, I think I was able to open some doors that needed to be. You talked at lunch a little bit about the ability to share a perspective that, that people don't always want to hear. Mm -hmm. And, and how, how do you do that? Because we all have things we wish we could say, would say, had said, and yes. we don't always do it. Well, I learned something that uh, Hayakawa once said, that all communication should be to protect or maintain mm -hmm. or enhance the other person's self-image. Mm. So if you use that as a criteria and a screen through mm -hmm. which you say what you say, uh, you can still say the truth blatantly, mm -hmm. but make sure it protects, maintains, or enhances their self-image. Mm. So uh, in doing that, I think sometimes we can uh, absorb the shock of what mm -hmm. is being said when we don't want to hear the bad news. 
mm-hmm. but yet that's what we're paid to deliver when we're leading an mm-hmm. organization. And for me, it's been how do I deliver with care? Mm, that's a good way to put it. So, so uh, we've both been paid to tell people stuff they don't want to hear. In in support of them changing a behavior that will serve the organization. So That's it's always right. in service of accomplishing a mission and doing it with yeah, deep affection, business affection, right? Not personal sure. affection, but deep, deep care for the people that I work with. Of course. I remember Bill Smithberg, who was CEO of Quaker Oats, making a presentation once in Chicago that I thought was just outstanding. And that the title of it was, Does a Corporation Have a Soul? Mm. Colon. Uh, how we close the Rockford plant ethically. Oh, wow. And what he basically said, if I can uh, remember that many years ago, was we closed it as though it were being closed on us. Mm-hmm. So we tried to think how the other would have reacted, mm-hmm. and that told us what we should do. In fact, I think most leaders, they make a big mystical to-do about leading, and it's, mm-hmm. it's not such rocket science. <laughs> All it is, is if this were happening to you, how would you want to be treated in it? Mm-hmm. And that'll tell you exactly how to lead through a crisis. It'll tell you exactly how to lead through something ethically. Mm-hmm. And I think um, it's true because we all are one. So it does, in fact, um, pay to take some time to understand the other person's perspective. And that means you've got to be patient. And I'm not patient. So efficiency and effectiveness and dealing with people are always going to be a troubling thing for me. Mm-hmm. You just can't be efficient with people. You've got to be effective <laughs> with them. Otherwise, it's kind of like rushing a, a rose to bloom or something. Mm-hmm. or a caterpillar to come out of a chrysalis. You do that and the butterfly won't fly. People are messy. Yes, they are. (laughs) And yet amazing. Yes. As I think of people I know who have been through dramatic crisis and the adaptations that any human spirit can make to stay alive and thrive in settings that none of us should have to live in. Yes. It's really phenomenal to watch. And then, then some days I go to work and wonder what someone's thinking. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that seemed like a good choice when you made it. And hmm, now it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do as a leader when you make a big, big blunder? Oh, goodness. Um, you know, inside of my head, I can think of a million times I've done stuff that's just... My first instinct is hope nobody notices, um, <laughs> and I'm horrified. But then there, there's the owning it, and you know, mostly they turn into great stories. Uh, I had a situation this week. A friend was in town visiting, um, stayed at my house, attending a conference, and my neighbor saw him leaving with a bag in the morning and called the police. So. I was in my house and they were pounding on my door and I didn't notice because I wasn't paying attention. And finally I looked out the window and there were three police cruisers. And and I ran down to greet the men who were trying to keep us safe and looked over at my neighbor who was at that point in tears because she had now put together all of the pieces of, 
oh, that was why he sat out front and didn't drive off. <laughs> and he had a pretty nice car. That's right. <laughs> and that, and just feeling her embarrassment, but also it made for the best story of the month. Well, sure. <laughs> so, um, you know, with with clients, I can now say I've done almost everything bad you can imagine. I realize that's not entirely true. And and they turn into teaching lessons. Of course. And, and certainly the when we look at leaders that we think are humble, you own your mistakes, mm-hmm. right? I know when I've done that same thing or something similar. And it, it, the inside conversation is, you thought you knew and you didn't. I've yeah. always taken... Um, a bit of wisdom from one of my mentors who said, Carla, always assume a positive intent mm-hmm. from the other. And it, more often than not, you're always right when you do assume mm-hmm. positive intent. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of the amount of times I've somebody's done something and I want to snap or make some not polite comment. And I, my conversation to myself is shut up and ask. Mm-hmm. And... I can't think of a time that was the wrong choice because mm. there was always something else going on that I didn't understand. Yes. And being compassionate and kind is, has never served me poorly. So that's a good point uh, for leaders as well, to ask how others want to be led. I remember someone telling me that when you end up taking over a leadership position, you, good leaders always say hello and goodbye properly. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways you say hello properly is don't come with an agenda to prove that you know how to lead, nor what the organization wants, but uh, come with questions. And the first question is always, what are you proud of? And the second one's always, what would you like to change if you were king or queen mm-hmm. for a mm-hmm. day? And the third is, well, what bothers you about me taking over? Oh, I love that question. And it revealed a lot of information that we needed to have mm-hmm. uh, when I would experience that. One gal told me one time, this doesn't mean that we have to get to work at 6.30, does it? <laughs> and it said, it said that I was broadcasting something that was not true, mm-hmm. and I didn't want others to know. Hmm. Uh, it was expected. So it really gives you a lot of information about their fears and about what the issues are, their jealousies, they want oh. the job rather yeah, than you, yeah. so how do we solicit them to participate in leading as well? So it's always hmm. good to ask questions, isn't it? It sure is. We're At this point, we're going to go on break, All right. and we will be right back with Carla Panessa talking about her insights and leadership. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. 
For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. This is Maureen Metcalf, and we're joined by Carla Panessa today. So, Carla, one of the things you've talked about a lot is resilience. Can you help the listeners understand how you define resilience and why you think it's so important? Sure. And I'm borrowing now from work from Dr. Amit Sood, um, an internist at Mayo Clinic who's written extensively on the subject. Resilience is our ability to bounce back from any kind of adversity. Uh, we like to think of it as being like a willow tree. You've got deep, deep roots, a, a really thick trunk, and very flexible branches. So you can't control how the wind blows, but you can keep your branches very flexible. And in doing so, it uh, helps in resilience. I think as well, it's important to know what stresses us. And it's important to know how the brain processes those stresses. And in doing so, we have choices. We can uh, lead from a base of prejudice. We can lead from a base of preferences, how we want things done. Or we can lead from a base of higher principles. And I think, I think leaders who lead with high standards and high principles, and they live that themselves first, mm-hmm. uh, they can then expect that of others. And it helps to create a resilient organization mm-hmm. as well. You know, I was, um, I'm in a program that looks at organizational vibrancy, and the person we're studying with talked about how we talk about our employees, butts and seats, headcount, or precious souls. Hmm. You know, if I'm working with a bunch of precious humans mm-hmm. um, versus body parts filling roles, I treat them differently. It's subtle. It sounds a little um, soft. And yet the shift in mindset and what it does to my brain as I'm interacting with them is palpable. That's right. I've always thought it a privilege that um, people are going to be put in your care under your leadership. And so that has an obligation with it. And what what does that oblige you to do? You don't try to hold on to them, mm-hmm. cut down on turnover, anything like that. When you start grabbing something, it goes away faster, right? Mm-hmm. 
you keep your arms open, so to speak, and you allow all of the learning experiences possible to occur. That means you let them fail. That means you let them succeed. That means you let them see what it feels like to um, be called on a carpet. It makes mm-hmm. it what it feels like to fire somebody. How do you do that compassionately? Mm-hmm. And I do believe, you know, His Holiness the Dalai Lama has said that his religion is loving kindness. And I think there is something very, very true about that in leader roles as well, that we're compassionate. Not only do we do work compassionately, but we we be compassionate. And mm-hmm. in doing that, it means that we care for the individual spirit mm-hmm. as much as we do their pocketbook while they're with us. And, and yet I want to qualify because I can imagine some of our listeners are, are having an autoimmune negative response to this. Mm-hmm that treating people with loving kindness does not mean tolerating bad behavior. No. It does not mean being soft at all. No. There, there is a razor's edge to managing with kindness and efficiency. That's right. And also with expectations and mm-hmm. what the expectations are. Clearly mm-hmm. what they are. Mm-hmm. And in that um, dialogue, I think then it's fair to be fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not fair if you haven't explained what those expectations are. Mm-hmm. And I believe that the expectations are not what you do in your job every day, it's what the results are mm-hmm. that you are expecting. And allow a lot of freedom mm-hmm. to get to those yeah. results. So you've talked, and again, I think this is such an important synthesis of ideas that. We expect results, but we can be compassionate. And we have to be compassionate because we get better results. You've also talked about your purpose. And so can you share a little bit about that? And I'm, I'm wanting to make the contrast between the leader who gets results because they yell and scream and hold people to account, but they have no personal relationship. I don't feel like someone cares about me when I show up to work. Mm. I feel like I'm a machine that's earning a paycheck. And so how is it different to work for you? Well, I, I struggled with that at one point in my career at Accenture. Um, I had been a partner for several years. Uh, I had excelled. I had a lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I hit a brick wall. Uh, when the job wasn't enough, uh, the challenge wasn't enough, the travel was too much, the balance with family, etc., became tough. And I asked myself, what is my real job? Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to know what that was. Um, and I decided that my real job was in reminding people how good they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and in doing that, even though I had bad news to communicate, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would always have a role, and I would know clearly what that role mm-hmm. was. So to me, that helped because it. I, I didn't realize how much people pay attention to the negative voices in their head that they aren't so good <laughs> and that they uh, they aren't worthy and that it's just a matter of time before they're going to be found out that they're faking it. Mm-hmm. All of those things happen to people inside. So they need reassurance about the fact that they are good. And mm-hmm. I think that was a role that I wanted to play. So it's interesting from a brain science perspective at least my understanding of it is my brain of course overemphasizes that because doing something that will keep will cause me to die I shouldn't do 
So I continue to, my brain wants to make sure that it preserves my life. Yes. And so I continue to focus on what I don't do well. And so the gift of having someone around me who also reminds me what I do well really helps me have a much more appropriate view of who I am in the world and what I can contribute. That's right. I think as well that um, it's helpful to understand from brain science that it pays attention to threat first. Mm -hmm. We don't have tigers chasing us now, but we have things that are going to eat our ego if we're not careful, right? Um, And we pay attention to novelty Mm -hmm. and we pay attention to pleasure. Those are the first three things that we kind of pay attention to. So, of course, we're going to be paying attention to threat because that uh, could threaten our job security. But I think when people learn not to focus on the negative, but rather Mm -hmm. on what is good about what is happening, Mm -hmm. they're freed up to be as good as they can possibly be. In one way, when you admit to yourself that you are good and worthy, and there's nothing wrong with you, that you're perfect as you are, that's the most vulnerable spot you'll ever find yourself in. Because then there's no excuse. Mm. Because then you have to um, uh, have other excuses for (laughs) when things don't go well. So I think it's a balancing act, but Mm. I think a leader needs, I think our leadership positions now are calling upon us to be more mindful of the whole person, not Mm -hmm. just uh, the person doing a work. Well, and, and that makes sense as we move out of the Industrial Revolution where we really were lockstep run by machines. We were machine operators. And now we're calling people to use different parts of their brain. And so now I have to show up as a whole person. And, and again, good research that points to how my brain engages when I'm doing knowledge-based work. And that for people doing work that is complex and requires deep cognition... I need to activate different parts of my brain, and so I need to um, be treated differently. Hmm. So it, it is, again, the, the, the advances in neuropsychology and, and understanding how the brain works are really changing, I think, the workplace. I think so as well. And I think they're changing family relations as well, or they could be. Mm-hmm. I know one of the things that... Um, I'm reminded of is that we we tend to take for granted those people closest to mm, us, yeah, because we know them well and they're going to be there, etc. Mm-hmm. So those people that we love the most, sometimes we can treat the worst because we assume they know mm-hmm. we care. Mm-hmm. Doctor Sud, I mentioned earlier, he has this uh, theory that you should always greet a loved one at the end of a day as though you haven't seen him for a long time. So my husband, Russ, and I tried that out. We've got this dog, Gigi, 12 pounds, little uh, uh, coton, and our doorbell, he goes to the store every morning. Our doorbell uh, rings, the garage door, when mm-hmm. he drives mm-hmm. in, and Gigi goes ballistic. Daddy's home, daddy's mm-hmm. home, runs to the back door, mm-hmm. goes into a dervish twirl, jumps up in my arms, and we go greet him. I give the dog to Russ, and I get the groceries from the trunk. <laughs> and... You know, once I was a little bit miffed at him because we had a little tit-tit-tit going on. And I thought, I'm not going to go greet you. And and I 
I heard Dr. Sood sitting on my shoulder saying, Carla, Carla, will this matter in five years? Mm. And of course not. So, <laughs> so I do think uh, we take advantage of those people closest to us, and we mm -hmm. shouldn't. And that also translates to the work environment. Sometimes my best contributors, it's easy to not give them the attention they require because something else is creating a drama. That's right. So you talked about seeing the best in people, and yet sometimes we have people underperforming. So of course. So how, how do you manage that? Well, you cannot see the best in people and not tell them the truth. Okay. Because you, you lie to people you don't see the best in. <laughs> and so you have to be truthful okay. about what you uh, need to tell people. And that does not mean that you don't have high standards and that you don't expect good performance mm -hmm. and honesty mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. integrity back from them. In fact, some of the kindest things you can do is to let an uh, employee go if they're in the wrong spot because they can't perform mm -hmm. in a way that mm -hmm. is expected. So they need to be someplace else in order to maximize their performance. Mm -hmm. It can be the kindest thing you do to let someone go. Yeah, I'm thinking of times I haven't told people all of what was in my head, and it didn't didn't promote their career success or their personal success. And it then you get all cluttered. Yeah, and then you get all cluttered up with what you should have said and didn't. Mm -hmm. and all mm -hmm. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Truth is more important to say, I think. <laughs> well, and and where this, what I want people to hear is, we often associate, I think kindness and compassion and stuff with those other uh, people who are too soft, who don't um, deal with the hard facts. And in fact, it is exactly the opposite of that. It is harder to be painfully honest, hold people to account, and do it in a way that's caring and compassionate so that their best can show up. So if I'm just not performing because I don't understand or I'm overwhelmed or I'm dealing with family issues or maybe I just got it wrong, the truthful feedback enables me to be whole and step forward. So tying in the thing you've talked about with fear, if I'm afraid I'm going to get fired every time I walk into work, I'm not going to do my best work. I'm going to follow the book. I'm going to follow the steps and nothing more. And treating people in and creating an environment where they're safe and allowed to expect it to bring their full potential means they're going to stub their toes on occasion. Of course. So do you have a favorite story about a situation where you gave someone feedback, tough feedback? Oh, um, yes. I remember I, it was the first person I had to let go from Accenture and I was so scared because I was relating to what they would feel after this conversation was over <laughs> mm -hmm. that uh, when it was over, I had to excuse myself and go to the restroom and have a little cry. Mm -hmm. And I think what I learned from that is that I will cry behind closed doors mm -hmm. anytime as long as I can feel what I think the other person is feeling. Um, before I will appear tough and uncaring and removed. Mm. So um, there, there are unpleasant things to do uh, mm -hmm. in leadership jobs. And sometimes I think we um, don't do that because we aren't honest with ourselves and we don't let other people be honest with us. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. In fact, when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit about vulnerability as a leader, because I think that's one of the things that you model very well. Again, being holding people to account and being incredibly professional, and yet there is an amount of personal um, disclosure and vulnerability that come into, I don't trust you if you're too hidden behind a curtain. Yes, of course. So we're going to go on break, and we will be right back with Carla Vanessa. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. We are talking to Carla Panessa about her experiences in leadership. So we, as we went on break, we were talking about the balance between being transparent and vulnerable, and yet we all know people who have overshared, and you can never regain your credibility after you've crossed a line that you discover is inappropriate. Mm-hmm. So how did you, how did you know what to share and what not to share, or what kind of experimentation did you do to get feedback for what was the right line in different settings? Sure. Well, uh, you know, Brene Brown has spoken mm-hmm. eloquently about vulnerability and leadership out of the University of Houston, so I don't know that I have anything to add. But I would say that when it dawned on me when someone shared something that they did that was not good, mm-hmm. that was embarrassing, that I would think, oh my God, I'm so glad that didn't happen to me. <laughs> I remember thinking afterwards, that's very interesting. I didn't think less of them. I thought more. Oh, interesting. Okay. So all of a sudden, 
vulnerability or transparency, I'll even mm-hmm. say a little bit, became a strength indicator and marker to me rather than a negative. And I have always said that you cannot expect people to follow you if you're a stranger. Who wants to follow a stranger? Mm-hmm. You want to follow someone you know and if you can trust them. Mm-hmm. And the only way that you can know them is if they reveal themselves. Now, there are appropriate things that you reveal and you're not reveal and all of that. And I think your gut tells you what's right and mm-hmm. what's mm-hmm. not. But more often than not, mm-hmm. it's um, helpful mm-hmm. to share also what doesn't come across in such a good light mm-hmm. um, with people to let them know that you are human mm-hmm. and vulnerable and approachable and also uh, you stand stronger as a result mm-hmm. of that not weak mm-hmm. yeah creating the environment where people can make mistakes because if I'm called to do my best I'm experimenting I'm pushing my boundaries and what we're learning again from uh, research that talks about the looking at world-class performers they're pushing boundaries all the time of course that's what makes them world-class and yet in some business environments we create envi- we create an, an yeah an environment where if I make a mistake I'm afraid of being punished mm-hmm. so if I'm not pushing my limits then if or if I haven't created an environment where people are safe to do that then they're not going to. I totally agree with that. And that that calls upon us as well to be paying a lot of attention to what challenges us. Mm-hmm. In my mind, the most dangerous leader is the one that's bored. Mm, interesting. That's got the job down so pat mm-hmm. that they never veer from the mm-hmm. yellow line, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think organizations... Um, wilt on the vine and die around them because they're not challenged and because Mm -hmm. they're not invigorated to discover what their potential is Mm -hmm. as an organization. So you got to fail more than you succeed if you're going to be good. Mm -hmm. And that means that you take some chances that might be a little scary. So when you, well, actually, let me ask, what's the biggest challenge you took that was scary? Mm -hmm. I think... When I told leaders who were in charge of my career that their their credibility was on the line based on what they were going to do with a decision, um, I was representing the employees at that time. They mm-hmm. had talked about what they wanted to do, and then all of a sudden in an executive meeting they were backing out on it, and I called mm-hmm. them on it and said, if you want to lose the trust of 60,000 employees who this mm-hmm. would affect, go right ahead and vote against this. But wow. if you want to retain the the credibility of what you've said, mm-hmm. that your word is is good, then you had better go with it. Wow. So they did. <laughs> but it was scary. Yeah. And I didn't realize it was scary until later. Mm-hmm. So then I had to go excuse myself and kind of shake a little bit <laughs> in that private room. <laughs> what did I just do? <laughs> yeah, there is, there is. One of the things I hear is creating space to reflect. Mm. Sometimes it's crying. Sometimes it's shaking. Mm-hmm. Probably a lot of time evaluating. Sure. And sometimes it's uh, it's letting your anger out, and that's the problem. People bring their job anger home, mm-hmm. and it affects everyone that lives with them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you got to have a way to defuse that. Yeah. So let's shift to boards. When you retired, 
How did you transition from an Accenture career to leadership, Mayo Clinic, and I'm sure you've done other things as well? Sure. I I needed a decompression time Mm -hmm. to read, put my feet up, contemplate my navel, (laughs) and decide what's next. Um, I don't think there's ever a time in your life that you can live without feeling meaningful. Mm -hmm. So... um, John Hollis has written a great book on that, uh, Finding Meaning in the Second Half of Your Life. And he says that, you know, we come into this world rather harshly. Um, Someone slaps us before we open our mouth, and everywhere we look, people are more powerful than than we are and bigger than we are, and so we develop coping mechanisms very early on in life, and we educate, and we get good jobs, and we have family, or we do what we do. And then we retire. And he said, in the second half of your life, you don't do that anymore. What you are supposed, you might stay in the same job, but in the second half of your life, you're supposed to listen to what your soul's calling you to do. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, it shifts everything. It shifts your meaning. It shifts what you find valuable. Mm -hmm. It shifts your sensitivities, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I found meaning in trying to work with young people and teach them how to lead with integrity and a sense of, of possibility. Um, not a guru in what they say, but what their own values internally say. Mm-hmm. And if you can stay in sync with the internal values and what you do on the outside, you've got more uh, credibility and I think more personal power and more personal mm-hmm. presence. And we just loved what Mayo Clinic was doing and it allowed us as well to get involved in healthcare where people feel the most vulnerable. Um, and we found a way to contribute back in that organization. So, and then what I discovered was you don't need an organization to feel meaningful. Mm-hmm. You literally can feel mean. I remember one day I was bored floating in the pool, did nothing that day, and I saved two bees' lives. Hmm. I was on a I was on a noodle floating, and literally, and I thought, wouldn't someone laugh if they heard that? That's what I pointed to as the most meaningful thing I did that day, and I got to thinking about that. Um, the smallest gesture mm-hmm. of someone in a checkout line, a mm-hmm. next door neighbor wherever it happens to be mm-hmm. there is no hierarchy in contribution nor in meaning mm-hmm. so all of it counts and I think it all counts at all times interesting I love that no hierarchy in contribution or meaning it all counts it all counts at all times so I want to then <laughs> then ask you to give a hierarchical answer <laughs> okay <laughs> As you reflect on what you've done that's been most impactful, can you come up with a couple of examples of results? And it may be a conversation you had more than a project you delivered on time. Are there a Mm. couple things that stand out to you personally as most meaningful, not necessarily most profitable for the firm? Oh, I remember giving a performance review to someone in Germany, a, a man, a partner who broke down in tears, crying, because he didn't think other people knew what he was doing. And I remember thinking, oh my God, everyone is the same all over the globe. And um, men and women, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a meaningful moment for me. Mm-hmm. There were others. I mean, there's projects you can name and all that kind of thing. I think mm-hmm. one other thing that I would uh, say is meaningful is this conversation. More often than not, people talk surfacefully about mm-hmm. things. They don't talk mm-hmm. in depth. I think, Maureen... Metcalf, you are a person of depth, and you talk in depth. So any time that there is an opportunity to go below the surface and to hit the core of the individual, the soul, the spirit of the individual, that is meaningful. And whenever you want to think about, oh my gosh, I don't think I count, well, there are seven billion people. Do you really think you're going to be the most important person on the globe? And even so, it takes them so little time to stop talking about you. Mm-hmm. And then, if you want to think about what you could accomplish, mm-hmm. we are reminded. I just read the other day that we thought we thought there were two hundred thousand galaxies beyond this globe that we're on, mm-hmm. and now they're saying, "Oh my God, we're wrong." It's two trillion. So the vastness of what's possible mm-hmm. in all of what's good is never limited. And um, I think all of that is meaningful. Even the bad things or misfortunes mm-hmm. that seem to happen to us. Because sometimes those are the things that stop us in our track and help us get real. Yeah, we talked about that. That some of them... It's easy to perform well when everything's going well. It's boring, but it's easy to perform. No, we create our own drama, don't we? Yeah, we do. I think we Sometimes do. there's external drama, too. That's right. But when there is no drama, I know the conversation in my head can be less than pleasant. That's right. Well, and again, it's the brain science, right, that says, what is it, um, safety, novelty, and... Meaning. Pleasure. Pleasure. Okay. Yeah. And some of the higher principles are, you know, gratitude and acceptance and meaning and compassion, forgiveness, celebration, joy, mm-hmm. reflection, meditation, prayer, whatever happens to fit your taste of spirit. And that's what you're supporting at Leadership. Yes. Yes. And at Mayo Clinic because they realize that the science of the body is not the whole story of mm-hmm. the individual that their mind and their spirit also plays into their health. So the integrative medicine piece. Yes. And you're pretty heavily involved in that, right? Yes, thank you. So is there something that you want listeners who are um, leaders, emerging leaders, senior leaders, to take away from our conversation today, whether it's leadership or Mayo Clinic and integrative medicine or something from earlier in your career? Well, I I would just say that if you are open enough to look at everything that happens to you as being a way to become better, to become more whole, to become more compassionate, um, then nothing that happens to you is ever wasted. Mm -hmm. Energy doesn't go away. It just changes form. 
So how you allow your energy to change form over time is the quality of your life. And we only have one that I know of, though I guess we could go into all kinds of discussions about other lives, but I don't have any expertise in that. So I'm not qualified to speak on it. Um, So accept yourself, love yourself, giggle with yourself and at yourself. And and above all else, give thanks uh, for your experiences. The good ones and the, the, quote, bad ones. Correct. (laughs) The areas where we really are growing. And so what's next in Mm. 30 seconds or less? What's next? (laughs) Well, I just had a a marked birthday, so I jumped out of an airplane. And I've got a bucket list that I am uh, working on. And what I have decided is that uh, it's not crossing off the bucket list like a to-do list Mm -hmm. that we so often do, but it's rather trying to do, trying to stay present and mindful Mm -hmm. and open and aware as much as I possibly can. And then I'll just let what comes come. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, the, the quality of your presence is... You know, for people who are hearing us and not sitting here with you, it is palpable. The, the kindness and compassion balanced with, I get stuff done, mm-hmm. right? There, there's a, a marrying that I think is rare and absolutely required in this time of transition. If back to the beginning, if we think about the volume of change we're facing, we can't get there without creating safe supportive work environments because those of us working are going to working board work employee paid work and volunteer work Mm -hmm. running homes everyone is required to move our species forward at a time when we're facing bigger risks as a global enterprise absolutely and so I hope people walk away with the question if I'm not demonstrating compassion in my daily life what can I do to get there what's the experiment where I can be more transparent where I can have a sense of the people working with me not only being units of production but precious humans precious souls and spirits that are showing up to work to do their very best every day you know what else I forgot to mention Maureen that I think is very very important I learned it at Sunday school (coughs) and If you want something that you don't have, Mm -hmm. the best and fastest way to get it is to give it. Mm -hmm. So if you you want more love in your life, give more love. Mm -hmm. If you want more organization in your life, give more organization. Mm -hmm. If you want more uh, challenge in your life, give more challenge. It's true that I can't have what I don't give, and I can't get what I don't give. Mm-hmm. So it's all a circular thing. And it's, it's a bit counterintuitive until you do it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And so to our listeners, thank you for joining Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I hope you heard something today that you will put into practice and join us next week. I would love to hear your feedback. So either connect with uh, me on Facebook, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, or on LinkedIn, or email me at info at metcalf-associates.com. Thank you.
Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.